Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 7th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The American President Donald Trump is expected to play a round of golf and jet off back to America today. Mr. Trump has been tweeting this morning about Robert Mueller. Mueller reported that charging Trump with a crime was not an option because a long-standing policy in America is that a president cannot be charged with a crime. Trump has said this proved he had not colluded with Russia to influence the outcome of his election. There are many questions Trump faces and controversy is never far behind. But when he leaves Ireland this afternoon, it is perhaps the aforementioned game of golf and dune beg that will resonate. Yesterday on this programme, we heard MSNBC's Rachel Maddow suggest that the purpose of his visit here was to promote the Trump International Golf and Hotel Links in Dune Beg, a version that is getting traction in in America and also here now as readers of today's Irish Independent will see. One of the big questions put to Trump on his visit here was about his attitude to climate change but like a lot of the other questions put to him, whether that was to do with Brexit or visas for the Irish, Trump seemed to be very agreeable. Earlier this morning I spoke with Eamon Ryan leader of the Green Party and TD for Dublin Bay South and I asked Damon Ryan if he was surprised at how agreeable Mr Trump has been on his visit here. I don't think he was kind of engaged in a way politically here. I mean, it was mainly a stopover point uh, between here in France and here in the UK. So, I, you know, I, I don't know if he'd been asked questions on the likes of Brexit and so on, mm. whether he was fully up to speed. Um, it was mainly to have a, a, few, a few rounds of golf. Uh, but maybe Prince Charles got him on climate change. I know, I think, when he met him over in London, it was what was meant to be 15 minutes turned into an hour and a half, and I think Prince Charles and that main point was to to raise the issue of climate change. And similarly, like some people were uncomfortable with the comments of our president, where he said that the mm. policies being pursued by Donald Trump were pernicious and re- 
regressive. Uh, and I think what the President Michael D was saying in that was, was mainly again related to climate change. And I think he was right. So I think it's been appropriate that the likes of Prince Charles, the likes of President Michael mm. D Higgins have used the occasion to raise that issue. That's one of the reasons we were protesting yesterday in Parnell Square. So when President uh, Trump said there's lovely clean air, lovely clean waterways in the United States, uh, you would argue that he just doesn't get it, is it? No, he's, they're, they're, they're burning 10 million barrels of oil a day. That's, that's almost 15, 13-15% of the entire oil that's consumed. And um, the emissions are continuing to rise and globally, and, and the, uh, the problem gets ever worse. And I suppose the real issue, one, one of the issues of President Trump, there are many you could pull him up on. But for me, it's the withdrawal from the Paris Agreement, which was the one kind of international cooperative mechanism to address that. And, and people say, well, why are you concentrating on Trump? Why don't you mm. look at China? Or you mm. can pick up any half a dozen of different countries where you have autocratic leaders and, and anti-democratic systems. But the problem with Trump in, in his withdrawal from international cooperation, uh, particularly the likes of the Paris Climate Agreement, is that he's threatening all our future. Um, and, uh, and their pollution is our pollution. It's, it's the one global atmosphere. Um, so so I think we're right, and I think uh, to to kind of pull him up and pull his, his administration up and to continue to do so. Do you think it's right to say that people in America have been asking the same questions, but coming at it in some circumstances, at least uh, from a different angle, and that President Trump has actually given them the answer that they want to hear, that there's nothing to be worried about. It's been made up by the Chinese uh, so that America would be scared out of using uh, a natural resource that is worth trillions of dollars. Yeah, and, uh, and that's the that's the problem is is the the confusion, the kind of obfuscation, and, and the and ignoring what every other scientist of note is saying is now as scientifically clear as the force of gravity that when you put carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, it will lead to warming of the planet. It is already leading to, and the risk is that if you if you allowed that keep going you could go beyond the tipping point where it would not stop. Where, yeah. where, and actually, the U.S. would be as threatened as anywhere because, uh, and it is, already is in large areas, it's seeing major costs from, from, from drought or increased storm incidents. Um, so uh, the American people won't escape. They won't tank his ad, ad, administration down the line. Yes, there are short-term interests, particularly oil and gas interests in mm. the States, who want to keep burning as much as they can. They've actually doubled production in the last 15 years. Um, and that gives them a short-term cash gain, but actually in the long run, it threatens their own people. And uh, I think that's the mm. real, I mean, the real um, bewilderment among the environmental community is how America can still remain divided on this, how there can be still be political gain from ignoring it, and that Trump benefits and plays on that all the time. That's it, one of the reasons we have to try and... It uh, seems to be, Eamon Ryan, that it's not a question of life and death. It's past that stage uh, because people are dying as we speak because of uh, the levels of carbon in the air. I think they're talking about 300,000 people lose uh, their lives across the European Union as a result of fossil fuels and uh, 500,000 as a result of other man-related issues. Uh, I was reading uh, research yesterday from Australia, which suggested it's a question of life 
or no life at all. We're talking about extinction, the end of mankind, uh, because of how uh, the temperature uh, will increase uh, by three or four degrees Celsius across uh, the world that will lead to a hothouse globe, droughts, famines, uh, and all sorts of problems that will be associated with that type of climate change. Yeah, and that's why the, the kind of scientific consensus now is what we need to do is restrict the average global temperature increase to less than one and a half degrees. Now, we're already over one degrees, but, and in the northern hemisphere, it's actually a lot higher, but the average global temperature is over one degrees. To, to restrict, and this is what the power, where the Paris Agreement comes in and why it's important. It sets out the mechanism where you would try to achieve that, to keep the temperature increase below that. And the risks if you go above it is, as I said, or as you said there, that it may become a runaway. If you go over 2%, you might find it impossible to stop going over 3%, which would stop impossible, make it impossible to stop mm. going over 4 And in those circumstances, as you say, there are large areas of the planet that would not be habitable. It would lead to a breakdown in the agricultural system, so it would be very difficult for us to feed ourselves, and there would be increased damage in, in a way that we can only really start to imagine. So the Paris Agreement is important, gives a mechanism mm. to try and achieve that. It requires a Herculean effort. It requires an amazing about turn in the next 30 years where developed countries like Ireland to play our part to achieve that objective. Yeah. We have to, by 2050, pretty much remove the use of fossil fuels. We have to go net zero carbon. But we're nowhere and, near it, uh, according no. to the EPA. This report yesterday uh, would beg the question, why are you critical of Donald Trump or American policies when we're way out in terms of meeting our targets uh, and we're not going to do it by 2020, we're not going to do it by 2030 either, they say, unless uh, we dramatically increase uh, the measures uh, that we're doing to combat climate change. No, you're right. We, we, we can, it's hard for us to point the finger when our own efforts have been so poor. The Paris Climate Agreement, uh, Europe is trying to achieve that. The way they've, they, they've organised that, they said, OK, by 2030 across Europe, we would reduce our emissions by 40%. Now, Ireland has looked for a a kind of an easier target, 30% by 2030. Um, And what the EPA said yesterday, that the course we're on, not lowering our emissions, but actually we're likely to see a 10% increase in emissions by 2030 on the current plan, on the current what's happening in the country. And and I think so. The government's got to come out with a new, all of governments are calling it National Climate Plan on, I think, the 17th of June next uh, that will have to see radical change in our transport system, in our energy system, in our food system, to be able to put us back on track. Mm. And the benefit is, in my mind, that the that it should not be a hardship. It should not be a kind of a punitive thing, or it should be a better economic system we get out of that change. And we should actually, and will, I think, be good at the change and be can benefit in terms of developing the new tech, 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 technology that will deliver that low-carbon future. Mm. So, And that feeds uh, into the ERSI report yesterday, which uh, says uh, that whatever taxes are raised because of uh, trying to combat climate change, uh, that uh, people who are on lower income should be protected. Yeah, and I think that's critical. Uh, so that, as I said, it's not just seen as a punitive thing. And the ESRI, they've done some really detailed analysis. They, they've taken the household budget survey, mm. so which measures what do people spend on. They said, OK, if you increase the carbon tax, uh, as is recommended by the Climate Advisory Council and others, 
Um, it would raise a certain amount of revenue. It would provide an incentive to go towards a low-carbon system. But I said, if you gave the money back, it would be so give all the revenue mm. back in raised in the tax to, to each household. Uh, it would be progressive. If you went further, it, progressive in yeah. the sense that it would help those on lower incomes. If you went further and you tilted the amount of money you give back so that those on lower incomes get more, uh, and there's justification for that because they typically consume mm. less, it would actually be quite significantly progressive. It, okay. it would significantly benefit income inequality in the country. So, it But would, would it make any difference to the environment? I mean, this is a question that a lot of people, I think, are understandably asking, because if, let's say, I heat my home using solar energy rather than burning coal all of the time, mm-hmm. will that save the planet? Uh, if corporations continue to emit huge amounts of uh, carbon uh, and... Uh, uh, the United States uh, ignores uh, the targets that are, are set, uh, and China too, and that sort of thing. If we have to do both. Um, the carbon tax is estimated would raise between 5 and 10% of the gap. So, so we've got to get, instead of a 10% increase, we need a 30% decrease. What the ESRI would say, well, that might get you maybe a quarter of that. So it's not the big deal. We have to do a whole lot of other things. Yes, we, uh, other countries have to do it too, although we should be wary that the Chinese are actually investing more in renewable power than the rest of the world put together. Uh, you know, we've just ordered 600 uh, diesel buses in Dublin. Mm. The Chinese have cities where they've got tens of thousands of electric buses. So they're actually ahead of the game and in danger of winning this new industrial revolution race. And similarly, even in the States, even where Donald Trump is kind of saying, oh, we shouldn't do anything, we should keep burning coal, coal is good, mm. and so on. The truth is, the, play- the places of innovation in the States, like California, they're actually also steam powering ahead as fast as they can to make this switch. Okay. And, and so well, we can be part of that new industrial revolution. We will be good at it, but not unless we get some political leadership. And, and it is change. going to take time. And I, I suppose to conclude, uh, well worth mentioning uh, that Kieran Coff and uh, Grace O'Sullivan have been mandated by people in this country to be making those arguments in the European Parliament. Uh, there's going to be a Shannon seat to be filled. Uh, there's speculation uh, that the Green Party are going to put Saoirse McHugh forward for that seat. Yeah, we haven't. We have to. We have to decide that. We've only just had Grace elected, and and uh, Saoirse ran a really good race. It was very close in in Midlands North East, uh, um, but but just missed it. So I'm sure she has a great future. No matter whatever whatever course it takes, this seat will be filled by the Oireachtas. Um, it doesn't go out to the county councillors or, or, or the, kind of the usual constituency. Con- hmm. So we'll have to decide who who runs for that in the coming weeks. Uh, but come what may, as you said, the key thing is is for the likes of Kieran and Grace to start working now in the European Union with our other uh, colleagues. Once you kind of get elected, it is a matter, I think, collaboration with the likes of Mairead McGuinness mm. and Ming, Luke McGlanagan and, uh, and uh, Matt. But Saoirse McHugh continues to be a possibility uh, in terms of becoming uh, the Green Party candidate, at least. Uh, what about Mark Deary? Uh, would you consider trying to convince him to go back to politics? I'm, I'm forever doing that. <laughs> I won't give up on that. No, he's been, he's had, he's been a hugely beneficial and important, influential member of our party. He he, he rightly said, I think, after um, some 15 years the council that he'd done his bit. But but uh, you never know. Um, we'll have to see on that one. Interesting. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning, Eamon Ryan, leader of the Green Party. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Gardaí and uh, the Department of Agriculture carried out searches at seven locations across five counties yesterday, investigating if meat from horses destined to be destroyed because it's not fit for human consumption may have ended up in the food chain. Uh, let's talk about this with Katrina Morrissey, who's uh, the news editor with uh, the Irish Farmers Journal. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning, Katrina. Uh, what more can you tell us uh, about these searches? Good morning, Michael. Well, as you mentioned, there were uh, seven searches in farms, houses and a commercial premises yesterday across five counties and those counties were Roscommon, Leitrim, Sligo, Westmead and Kilkenny. Um, and what we do know is that there are a huge number of government agencies involved in the searches and that they are related to potentially fraudulent and tampering of horse passports and microchips. So both of those are used to identify horses and there are a number of horses in Ireland that go for slaughter for horse meat for export in the, in the human food chain. Right, uh, but horse meat as such is not sold here or people would expect that it isn't sold here or at least that would have been the case up to fairly recently. That's right, that's right. I think there's one Dublin farmer's market that uh, sells a very small amount of horse meat, but 99.9% of it is for the export trade. Um, Irish people in the whole aren't, uh, I suppose, uh, interested in eating, in eating horse meat, but it's very much on the menu in continental Europe. And in particular, Irish horse meat would go to the likes of France and Belgium. So there is, there is an appetite for eating horse meat, just mm. not in Ireland. OK, well, not one that we're aware of, at least, or weren't aware of up to... Uh, about six years ago, it was 2013, I think, when we discovered that a lot of the beef burgers that we buy contained a lot of horse meat. That's right. And I suppose the, that's the crucial difference between uh, the searches yesterday and the 2013 horse meat scandal that farmers will remember with horror. Um, at that time, there was horse meat masquerading as other high value meats like beef. And that turned out to be a Europe wide um, scandal. This time around, there's no suggestion that horse meat has been passed off as anything except horse meat. It's just that whether the horses that were presented for slaughter had the correct identification and microchips Mm. to make them eligible for slaughter. Uh, But does uh, the story from 2013 and how it was being pawned off as beef, if you like, uh, cause concern uh, around uh, the industry and how horses are uh, slaughtered? Well, look, the horse meat trade, I suppose, is a very legitimate one. It's just that we don't eat horses in Ireland, so mm. it's kind of unusual um, for us to think about. Um, obviously, any any question marks over food chain and the food that's going into it is not good, and that's why all of the systems in Ireland have to be absolutely watertight. We're an exporting nation, and we need to have to be able to stand on our reputation. And I think the fact that there were so many agencies involved yesterday, including the Department of Agriculture and the Food Safety Authority, uh, shows that you know they obviously are watching and looking for anything that's wrong and seem to have discovered um, an issue there in regards to the horses that were being presented for slaughter. Which undoubtedly will be damaging uh, to our reputation internationally, won't it? Well, look, there's always collateral damage, I suppose. But the big difference, I think, between this time and 2013 is the fact that you know, horse meat is not masquerading as other meats in this case. It is mm. the legitimate horse trade has been questioned. I think that's the key difference. But this is meat as such that yep. is not fit for human consumption that has been sold as food. 
That's the yeah, that's the suggestion. Um, with horses, if you were to present them for slaughter to a factory, you have to have both the passport, which is a paper document, and the microchip in the horse's neck have to be um, registered with the Department of Agriculture's central database, and they have to correlate with each other. If that is not the case, then they should be excluded from the food chain. And there is another kind of a common reason for horses to be not suitable for the human food chain as well. And that would be whatever medications that they've received during their lifetime. Um, There's one in particular that would rule a horse out of the food chain uh, completely. And that's a very common painkiller. It's called Butte. So it would be given to many a lame horse in Mm. the country. um, But it would automatically exclude that animal then from the food chain. Uh, And what if you ended up eating that animal? What uh, effect would that have on a human being? So the problem with butte is that there is no maximum residue level. So uh, obviously farm animals across the country will get treated with antibiotics if they are sick and they should be. But we know the the withdrawal time that you need for that antibiotic to pass through the animal system and no longer be a residue in either the milk or the meat. Um, The problem with butte is that there has been no maximum residue level set for it. So it's automatically excluded. It's a lifetime uh, exclusion for that animal if it has had butte. So the human could end up consuming butte, is it? The, the danger would be, yes, that yes. if the animal, if the horse had been had received butte, that if it then goes into the human food chain, which it should not, mm. that there could be a risk to human health then. Uh, and what is that risk, do you know? It's actually related to a bone marrow condition. It's a very rare bone marrow condition. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a tiny but serious uh, risk so that's why it's a complete ban on, on butte in the in the human food chain. God, I don't like the sounds of that. And I heard George Lee on the television last night talking about uh, an effect on white blood cells. That's right, yeah. it's. I think the condition is called uh, atoxic anemia. So it's, it affects the, the blood production in the bone marrow. Right. Uh, so poisonous. Yeah, I suppose you could call it that, yeah. Um, but as I say, that that is why that drug is, mm. is t- completely excluded from the food chain because there is no maximum residue level, therefore no uh, no withdrawal time that, that can be set for the meat to be safe. Uh, and can we say with some degree of certainty at this stage uh, that horse meat, which is not fit for human consumption, uh, has been sold as food? No, we don't know that yet, as far as I'm aware. We do know that that's what they're investigating. There's no withdrawal of meat or anything like that. Mm. Um, The agencies yesterday described it as an evidence-gathering exercise, and they also um, pointed out that not all of the premises raided may have been actively involved in any uh, illegal activity. They may have been kind of unwitting um, uh, sideshows in it. So it remains to be seen the number of agencies involved, I suppose, would indicate the level of seriousness of the crime. Food fraud has been on the rise across Europe. Um, there are a number of agencies in Europe that deal with it. And uh, Pro- Professor Chris Elliott, who is in uh, Northern Ireland, has warned about the huge, huge uh, money that is potentially to be made by criminals in food fraud, simply substituting a, a cheaper ingredient for a higher ingredient in a food Uh, can make criminals a lot of money. Uh, And as you're reporting in uh, the journal, uh, there has uh, been uh, evidence of fraud in this country, in Kilkenny, not so long ago, where horses had multiple microchips. The Department of Agriculture did investigate an incident in uh, in Kilkenny in March, and uh, the European Commission then also listed Ireland um, for an audit. Um, Ireland would be subject to several different audits every year from the European Commission and one of them that was listed this year was for horse meat. 
um, and there were other countries in Europe listed for it as well. There were also um, arrests dating back to the the, the 2013 horse mm. meat episode. Um, there were two Dutch and two Frenchmen um, prosecuted in Paris earlier on this year. So we've been covering that in the Farmers' Journal all along. And uh, I take it there's uh, several strands to this investigation, as you say. It's uh, across uh, five counties. Uh, there's a, a lot of people who may have been involved and some who may have been involved to, to a, a lesser degree. And I imagine that's part of the investigation to understand if uh, this meat that wasn't fit for human consumption was sold as food uh, and if people were selling it were aware of the fact or if they had somehow been duped into buying this food from somebody else. That's it, yeah. It's unclear how many of the premises are, you know, suspected to be actively involved in an illegal tampering or how many might be somewhat kind of innocent bystanders. That that will all come out in the wash. Okay. Interesting stuff indeed. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning, Katrina Morrissey, who's uh, the news editor with uh, the Irish Farmers Journal. Michael Reed on LMFM. The number of people uh, who have uh, been disqualified from driving because of drink driving or drug driving offences increased by 12% last year compared to 2017. That's a total of 3,845 people who were taken off the roads for such offences and the sentences, generally speaking, are to lenient according to the Park Road Safety Group. Alec Lee is a member of Park and he joins us now and a very good morning to you Alec and thanks for joining us. Uh, Do you think that more people have been caught because more people are inclined to drink and drive or take drugs and drive or because Gardaí are catching more people at it? Well, it seems to be more drivers are being detected. I I think it's probably more enforcement of the law by the Gardaí. Well, the Gardaí numbers have been rising again after being decimated for so many years. Mm. And we, we seem to have more Gardaí checkpoints, even though we've always had a drink-driving culture, but some people don't seem to be learning, you know. Mm. And, uh, of course, uh, the automatic disqualification uh, that has come into play will see a further increase on those numbers this year, I take it. Yeah, but uh, I don't think that the law has such been enforced properly. Even anyone that's, there's an awful lot of disqualified drivers being on the road and they're involved in fatal crashes. I mean, disqualified drivers, they must post their driving license to the post box in Cork. Now, that's a farcical situation. And 98% of uh, disqualified drivers, they are not simply not surrendering their licenses. I believe the solicitors are saying to them when they go to court, don't bring your license. Because if you haven't got your license in court, you don't have you, you don't have to surrender it. Mm. I mean that that's the the, the court service fault and the guardies' fault. If someone appears without their license, they sh- their case shouldn't be heard. Simple as that. But you're not licensed to drive, are you? You're not licensed to drive. But if if your if your license is surrendered and mm. you're stopped at a checkpoint, yeah. you have no you have no license to be used to the guard. Where if they are they keep their licenses. They're disqualified. When they're stopped by a guard at a checkpoint, they show their licence and the guard simply waves them on. Mm, you know, like I know there's a system coming in where mm. the guard commissioner is hoping to have 2,000 of these handheld IT devices with the guard before the end of the year. And hopefully with the input from the courts, the guard, the RSA, that these will be able to detect uh, disqualified drivers and 
drivers that shouldn't be on the road in the first place. Mm, because uh, the car could very well be insured under someone else's name, yep. uh, taxed uh, NCT, no problems with the car, all that sort of thing. Uh, so the guard will just ask for the licence at a, a checkpoint. You take out something that looks like a licence, even though you're not a licensed driver because you've been disqualified, uh, and you're waved on. Yeah, but the thing about these new uh, devices now, if they're up to date, as they say there, I believe that these will also hold a photograph. So when the guard has stopped someone, he has one of these IT devices, he can check the car, but he can also look at the driver mm. and see if the driver is actually the person that's supposed to be uh, insured and legal, driving this car legally. You know? mm. Yeah, well, that's it. Uh, I suppose uh, you could be driving somebody else's car and not be insured, apart from uh, this other situation that we're talking about now where you've been disqualified. Uh, and there is a, a, a huge... Uh, unknown element to this in that we don't know how many people haven't surrendered their licences who continue to drive. Yeah, well, there, there's, according to the figures, there's some, I don't have the exact figures, mm. but uh, even, uh, you know, the, the system here is is wrong. I mean, the Garda Commissioner said the system in Northern Ireland is what well, is simple, very effective, whereas when you appear in court, the court holds on to your license even when you're disqualified. Here, you, you, you keep your license. The reason, main reason is that you have two weeks to appeal your conviction. But a simple situation here is the court should hold your license. The court can give you some sort of a leaflet or document to say they're holding on to it while your appeal is in progress. If your appeal fails, they keep your license. If, if you succeed, they give you back your license. You know, it's not mm. rocket science. It's just a matter of holding it onto it. And the Garda Commissioner is amazed. He said that this system isn't operating in this jurisdiction. It's amazing, though, the nerve some people have, isn't it? I mean, I think most of us wouldn't even think of doing something like that, driving without a license, uh, having been disqualified, shamed off the roads, and then continuing to drive. And and there's uh, repeat offenders, and I I don't know what sort of mentality they have. And I mean, a lot of these mm. where, where there's, they're involved in fatal crashes. I mean, mm. they don't see maybe they don't see the the carnage that's been caused on our roads. But I mean, like if they put themselves in the position of someone like me who've lost someone in, in a road crash, you know, they have a completely different attitude. And I mean, the drink driving should should be a no no, and they should be stricter enforcement stricter penalties and if you have a stricter penalty that'll be a deterrent the deterrent here i see as i said i've seen people being convicted of dangerous driving causing death they, they get a suspended sentence mm. not even a fine you know it that's it, it it's what the life of that person has killed that must be worth something mm. Well, uh, your comments uh, come uh, following on from uh, the impact statement uh, given by a, a local family in uh, Trim Circuit Court yesterday. Gillian Thornton uh, was killed when a fellow was mad on drink and drugs, uh, Michael Collins, and uh, was being pursued by Gardaí. And uh, her sister told the court yesterday that he'll get a second chance at life, but Gillian never will. And it echoes exactly what you're saying. And I suppose it says a lot about the attitude of these people that they will continue to drive even after being disqualified. But perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised by that, Alec, when we think of how they made that decision to get behind the wheel of a car in the first place after consuming alcohol or drugs for that matter. Yeah, and I mean, like, OK, as you say, they, they might serve a very short sentence if they do that. I mean, the families, they've got a life sentence, you know, 
uh, every day is uh, is a killer to them. You know what I mean? Like a car is a lethal weapon. It's not driven with care. It's two tons of steel. When that hits someone, you know it's going to do uh, awful damage. You know, I know recently they brought changed uh, from fifty to eighty milligram. Originally, you know, you get penalty points and a fine. Now it's automatic three month suspension because people in that bracket were. Uh, they, they just watched once they didn't get over 12 penalty points they were happy enough mm. but uh, it's uh, I, I think it needs a lot more enforcement there should be zero tolerance by the Gardaí by the courts by the judges on drink drivers I mean uh, you know my, how many more must die before the powers of be take the necessary steps to stop this carnage they don't seem I know if there's a uh, the minister's son or daughter, or maybe the guy the commission's son or daughter, were killed by someone in this. They would have a completely different outlook. I, I know that if if I was the guard the commissioner, within a week I would cut the road deaths by about ninety percent. Simply send out a directive to all guard divisions, strictly enforce the rules of the road, especially related to drink drivers, drug drivers, by racers, uh, unaccompanied learner drivers. You know, it's not rocket science. It's people that are on the road that shouldn't be on the road. First thing, you take them off the road. And I mean, that you should be, as well as, there should be a mandatory, at least 12-month sentence, if if you are responsible for the death of someone, you should get you should get at least a five thousand fine. The car should be crushed straight away. These are simple things. I mean, that, as I said, the life of the person that has been killed that must be worth something. Yeah, uh, and it's a life that you're mourning, as you say uh, today, uh, in your own personal circumstance. Do yep. you wish to tell us more about that, Alec? Um, my daughter, 15 year old daughter, <laughs> sorry, hold on. No, my, my daughter wasn't killed by a drink driver or drug driver. She was killed by a 17 year old unaccompanied learner driver. A beautiful looking girl. Like, uh, the, the way I look at my daughter and other people that have been killed needlessly on the road, they should be alive today. And the Gardaí have admitted on numerous occasions that. The, the majority of road crashes are preventable. So I would like the Gardaí to make more of an effort to actually prevent them. You know, you've been by racers and unaccompanied drivers here in Clamwell, where I am. The Gardaí are very lenient. Just stop people. They have a chat with them and wave them on, you know. They, they should do like they do in other jurisdictions. If you're not qualified to drive, you're not quali- if you're an unaccompanied learner driver, you're not insured on that car. Your insurance is null and void. They should do in other countries. That car doesn't move from there. The Gardaí take it away, and in some cases, the car is crushed. I mean, they have uh, the power to uh, seize a car for no insurance, and they have the car, if if it's illegally modified, they can take it away and get it checked. But they don't seem to be using these rules. And my idea is, rather than a Gardaí to call them at someone's house and say, your son or daughter isn't coming home anymore, Take the bio racer or the illegal driver or mm. the drunk driver. Take them off the road where they should be off the road. And you lost your little girl, Carl, yeah. in two thousand. Uh, two thousand. Yes, it's still yes. like yes, yesterday. You know, we, we can hear the pain in your voice, Alec. Yeah. Uh, that, that obviously doesn't go away, uh, but uh, undoubtedly. Uh, you're speaking to people like me and our listeners uh, today yeah. in memory of Carol, uh, and uh, thank you indeed for doing so. Okay, thank you very much, Michael. Thank you very much indeed. Alec Lee, who is a member of the Park Road Safety Group. 
Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages uh, that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. And our listeners are still talking about him, Michael. That's Trump, of course, uh, and phoned in. But she says she's sick hearing about Donald Trump. The coverage has been nauseating. He wasn't even here on a state visit, Michael. That's Mm. how little Mm. he thinks of us. Mm. He was just here to promote his hotel. He seems to be a law unto himself. And the sooner he's gone and we can get back to our daily lives, the better. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Marie is this listening to your interview with Eamon Ryan says Mm. Pat from Balbriggan is this the same Mr Ryan who told everyone a few years ago to buy expensive diesel cars and save the world while sitting beside Brian Cowan bailing out the banks Mm. and supporting the bondholders and millionaires at the expense of the Irish taxpayers people have long memories roll on the general election says Pat yeah well I think there's a a lot of people who have uh, diesel cars including some environmentalists environmentalists uh, who have uh, subsequently learned uh, about uh, the carbon uh, rather than uh, the pollution that comes from them and uh, have learned that that was a mistake. Marie says, mm. how much How much did it cost to bring Trump to Ireland? And whatever it cost, it was money badly spent. Mm. Okay, <laughs> yeah. well, they're giving out about the cost of it here and in America. Okay. <laughs> Uh, on the cost, um, John from Navin phoned in and he says, oh, there's great uh, controversy about how much has been spent, millions of taxpayers' money to pay the Gardaí for manning Trump's visit. But the point I'd like to make, I had a brother in the Gardaí mm-hmm. Gardai all his life, that every one of those Gardaí will be paying tax and PRSI and USC. So at least half of the 10 million will go straight back into the exchequer, Okay, <laughs> says John from Navin. Uh, dear just says, imagine Donald Trump mentioning about a wall. What was he thinking, Michael? He clearly doesn't understand our history at all. He's lethal. You never know what is going to come out of his mouth next. Mm. Margaret phoned in and Margaret says she's just fed up listening to you Michael Reed, shooting down Donald Trump it's just very obvious that you don't like him and she feels you should be more fair you're not supposed to be biased like that but you are all the time now when it comes to Trump it's the same thing will you tell Michael and the listeners that only dead fish go with the flow mm. and there are a lot of dead fish in Ireland yeah and up the dead fish that's what I say <laughs> up the dead she fish says, I was yes. listening to your listener mm. yesterday yesterday talking about the jobs that America Mm. brings Mm. to Ireland and I do listen to LMFM Mm. but I'd Mm. be glad when you stop talking Mm. about Donald Trump thank God he'll be gone back soon yeah yeah, absolutely yeah Yeah, I'm sick of it as well and up the dead fish let's kill all the fish let's kill all the fish let's kill all the people let's kill all the uh, people in uh, the Middle East let's start a a nuclear war while we're at it nah look do you know what she's right she has a a point let's go down the pub Let's go down the pub with the Trumps, Eric and Don Jr. So in every bar that we've gone to, we bought everybody drinks. So we're buying you guys all drinks tonight. So drink up, have a great time. Hey guys, thank you so much for everything, guys. We The support around town from day one has been incredible, but it's only growing stronger. So we really want to thank you for that, because every time we're here, it feels such a warm welcome. Uh, it's truly amazing, and you guys have been the best. It's, it's just really touching to us. Thank you guys so much. We, thank we, you. We love we love Dunebeg. We absolutely love Dunebeg, so thank you. And we love it here. We've been here a couple times, right? 
We've been here a couple times. Yeah. We've dragged a lot of people in here, so. That's all off the record. Off the record. We've been here a couple of times. After 11, it's off the record, okay? You guys do a beautiful job. It's good to see you again. Thank it's you, good guys. to see you again. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Your father is missing out. Oh, he's I, I agree. A, he's had a pretty busy day. I mean, in all fairness, you know, we're going to give him a little bit of a break. You know, he's had a busy day. What you make it tonight? Ash, it's a great night. <laughs> Why are you here? It's nearly half past, nearly 20 to 11 on a Wednesday night. Like, if you're not school in the morning. Yeah, I'd be up for school in the morning. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's exciting when Trump comes into town. So let me ask you a question. Does Doonbeg love Trump? And we love this place more than anything. So thank you guys for the hospitality. It's awesome. There you go. That's Eric and Don Jr. captured in the pubs of Doonbeg by Claire FM. Jerry Floyd was in touch with us, Michael, um, and he says that it was great to hear Claire Daly on our show during the week. I don't normally agree with her, but she hit the nail on the thumb when she pointed out that the world's favourite African-American after Irish African-American Muhammad Ali was no saint when it came to military intervention in other sovereign states. A great man for bluster about chemical weapons in Syria. Trump said no and meant it. What did Obama achieve? Your anti-Trump bias has been showing all this week your show. He is the President of the US, elected democratically under their electoral system. He is not President of the world. No, that's not says fair. Jerry. That's not fair. I just said up the dead fish, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all on for killing the fish, Jerry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Moving from Trump, if we can, because yeah. I have a couple of comments about other issues, believe it or not. Um, first yeah. to that interview um, just there with Alec Lee uh, from uh, Park Road Safety mm. Group. Uh, Marie from Drogheda got in touch and says that a lot of what your guest says makes a lot of sense. That so She does feel that motorists still do get away with a lot on the roads. Mm. And things that spring to mind for her include... 
people using their mobile phones whilst driving. You see it all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, speeding, she feels, is, is not being curtailed. And also, as highlighted, you still have unaccompanied drivers, mm-hmm. learner drivers. Mm-hmm. And she feels there needs to be a zero tolerance approach in order to get the message across that this is not acceptable. Okay. Moving then to our interview yesterday with Nolene Blackwell regarding sexual images being mm-hmm. shared online. Um, Nicola was listening in and she phoned in and she says she's in her 30s, would consider herself fairly open-minded. But even she is shocked by times, she says, by some of the pictures that she sees people post online themselves, Mm. which really should not be posted in a public domain. She says, I'm not a prude, but some girls think nothing of posting provocative pictures. And I just wonder, what are they thinking? Mm. Maybe she's a prude. Well, she says she's not. <laughs> well, she's so, adamant so, that she's so, not. So, that's what the Pope says. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> says that. <laughs> Nicola, don't mind him. He, it's yeah. Friday. He's one of those. He's one of those happy humours. <laughs> I don't know. You see, we all say we're not prudes. We all say we're not old. We all say we're not fuddy duddies. But you know, there is a, a different generation of people, and no, we don't understand. That's it. true. Uh, it, may, could, it could be a generational yeah, thing. May, maybe that makes us yeah. old. Maybe that makes us prudes. Me included, because I have to say, I was <clears throat> pretty shocked. At the idea that uh, a quarter of young people, it was 15 to 18 year olds, share mm. intimate images of themselves willingly. Mm. Uh, and 13% then end up finding out uh, that, you know, she broke it off or whatever, or he broke it yes. off. And then they put it up on the internet for everybody to see. And they were going, oh God, I didn't want that to happen. And I, I feel terrible. Yeah. So mm-hmm. even when you're in a relationship, mm-hmm. you should be thinking twice yeah. about what mm-hmm. you're doing because once mm-hmm. it's there, yeah. it can be used yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Going then to, General election time, Michael. <laughs> Do you want mm-hmm. to hear those words? Because Mick got in touch. Mick feels it's time mm. for a general election in Ireland. Mm. Sinn Féin probably won't want it because of their dismal performance in the local elections. But for stability moving forward, he would like to see the general election happen. Mm. He feels that it's time for Fianna Fáil to do as what he describes as the right thing and stop propping up the government. Pull the plug now, he says, and let it happen. Okay. So final word Mm. to him. All right. Well, thanks uh, for taking the time to share those thoughts with us and uh, thanks for bringing us all of those calls as well this morning. Marie, if you'd like to add to what's being said, Marie and Ross are taking calls today and our telephone number is 1850 715 958. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Well, Mr Trump uh, will leave uh, the shores and go back uh, to America this afternoon, but he, he shouldn't have been for Prophet TD, Richard Boyd Barrett, who joins us now. A very good morning to you, Richard, and uh, thanks uh, for taking the time to be with us. Uh, what did you make of the visit? What did I make of it? Mm. Um, well, I mean, I suppose the either incredible I- ignorance or cynicism of Donald Trump was on display with his reference to the wall in mm. Ireland. Um, I mean, I think that comment was quite extraordinary. Mm. Mm. It either shows that he knows absolutely nothing about the Irish situation uh, and therefore has very little to contribute. Mm-hmm. Or worse, that what he was doing was very cynically sending a message back to his own base uh, uh, relying on the ignorance of mm. people in the, or some people, and particularly his supporters in the United States about Ireland, to suggest that actually 
in the same way as he wants to build a wall mm-hmm. uh, between Mexico and the United States, that somehow we want to build walls here as well. Yeah, I think it's probably the latter. I think he outwitted us, didn't he? On every yeah. front, on every front, he's promoted his golf club, he's promoted his policies, he's come across to the American people as a diplomat, and he's come across as somebody who rubs shoulders with royalty. Yeah, I, I think so. And that was always uh, our fear and the reason why we opposed the visit, why we think it was a big mistake by Leo Varadkar to uh, invite him. Uh, and yeah, it's a big PR exercise for Trump in his efforts to get uh, re-elected in the United States. And I think we got absolutely nothing from it uh, politically. I mean, there was some efforts to suggest that, oh, he was listening to us. But I, Donald Trump doesn't listen to anybody except you know himself, essentially, and his particular agenda, which is entirely self-serving. Uh, and is about promoting the interests, yeah, primarily of Donald Trump, but also of you know big business uh, corporations in the United States, the fossil fuel industry, mm. the arms industry. That's what he's interested in. Mm, mm. Uh, and from his point of view, it was a success. And from our point of view, it was a massive waste of money, and nothing was achieved. Mm, yeah. Oh, you're dead right, as uh, the Donald might say. Good job. Uh, everything's great. Uh, and uh, sure, I agree with all of that. He he was very agreeable, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, I mean he just... He said, was on for protecting the environment. He was on for protecting the world. <laughs> he was on for Brexit. He was on for no Brexit. He was on for anything that anybody put to him, it seems. Yeah, but that's that's the point. Mm. Trump will literally say anything, and he will speak out of both sides of his mouth simultaneously. Um, but w- what we know is there is a very real and dangerous agenda behind it all, because it's not what he says when he visits Doombeg, it's mm. what he does politically, and we know what he's doing. Mm. He's trying to single-handedly wreck efforts to deal with climate change by uh, sabotaging the Paris Climate Change Agreement. He has ramped up arms sales to an extraordinary level, uh, particularly selling to regimes like the Saudi dictatorship, uh, mm. who are then, you know, causing mayhem in Yemen. Uh, he's backing, obviously, Israel in further illegal annexation of Pal- Palestinian land. Mm. He's sowing division and hatred between people across the world. He's threatening war against Iran. I mean, the list goes on. Mm. But can you, can you not balance that against 360 jobs or whatever it is in Dunbeg? Oh, look, I, I, to be honest, I do have sympathy for the people of Doombeg. But mm. what's tragic is that uh, because of successive governments' failure to protect rural Ireland, the jobs and services, the infrastructure in rural Ireland, places like Doombeg then become dependent on people like Trump. And God help us. You know, if the economic fate of rural Ireland is dependent on people like Trump, we're in serious trouble. Because, of course, Trump's loyalty to Ireland will, is mm. about... Uh, as, uh, you know, consistent as how much money he can make out of it. Uh, and Trump will up sticks and go if he can't make money because that's what he's interested in. So I uh, certainly don't think we want rural Ireland generally to be dependent on the likes of Trump in, in order for survival. What we need is governments that invest in rural Ireland. 
No doubt you're were with his effigy or whatever you would call the baby blimp at uh, the Garden of Remembrance last night and uh, a number of people where it's hard to get a handle on how many people protested. Uh, one paper saying several hundred, uh, another paper, paper saying 2,000, 3,000, as many as 5,000 perhaps. Uh, but it, it seems as though a considerable number of people turned out, nothing in comparison to the protests in London, but very little coverage of it today, realistically speaking. Yeah, which is very disappointing. Uh, but there was about four or 5,000 people, uh, which for a midweek protest is a, a very respectable number. I would like to see it being larger. Uh, I mean, I don't think the size of the protests is in any sense an endorsement of Trump. I think huge numbers of people just think Trump is a, is a distraction, is of no particular relevance to them, and they've got more pressing concerns like the housing crisis, the health crisis, uh, and other issues. Uh, but I do think, nonetheless, it was it was an impressive show of unity between a whole range of different groups, trade unionists, women's rights groups, Palestine solidarity groups, anti-war groups, uh, you know, LGBT groups, all the people who are essentially victims or targets of Trump's toxic and dangerous politics uh, came out to show their opposition. And I think... Mm. It's critical they did because we don't want to give them a free run. At least we want some message going back to the United States uh, and to the people there that that there was a very significant number of people in this country who oppose his agenda, as there is, of course, in the United States itself. Um, the message uh, that uh, seems uh, to be going back to the United States, uh, because we heard it on the programme yesterday from MSNBC. Uh, we're going to hear it later on on the programme from National Public Radio uh, and uh, from others, is that he was here to promote his golf club. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure that they saw much other purpose to the Irish visit than that. Uh, a different uh, set of reporting then on the British visit uh, and indeed uh, his rubbing shoulders with royalty and, of course, uh, then his uh, diplomacy uh, in Normandy uh, all being reported on. Yeah, um, and yes, I, I, you know, as we've said already, I think from, from the Irish point of view, yeah, it was really him promoting his uh, his interests in this mm. country, his uh, luxury resort in Dunbeg, uh, and also a big, big PR exercise, which he hopes will be useful for him in the forthcoming presidential election. And he is yeah. undoubtedly electioneering. Will that bode well for the Irish? Will we get the Z3 visas that we're talking about? And we listened uh, to an extract uh, from a conversation that took place on Fox News on the programme yesterday, where they were talking about how Ireland is a good trade partner because of what Trump said here when he was asked about a corporation tax. Yeah, I mean, you know, the idea that uh, we have to fawn over Trump in order to maintain economic relations with the United States, or for that matter, let all their troops go through Shannon to prosecute wars, I, I don't buy that. I think American investment is here because there's money to be made, uh, not because, you know, the Irish government fawns over Trump as they did. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem with Irish politics generally for a long time, not just around the Trump regime, but it's just this idea that we have to sort of get down and bend at knees to the United States, that we mm. can't say boo to them uh, on issues where we strongly disagree with them um, because of fear of the withdrawal of US investment. But who on earth are we? to judge the Americans when we have our own problems. I mean, I was talking to Eamon Ryan earlier on this morning uh, about our attitude towards climate change and how we can protest forever in a a day about uh, Donald Trump being a climate change denier. 
But look at our own record on climate change. Uh, you talk uh, about uh, the military aspect of uh, American foreign policy uh, and look at ourselves here and how we're facilitating that. The Irish Times reporting yesterday that 750,000 foreign troops have passed through Shannon. Oh, listen, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, Leo Varadkar has kind of implied at times that he's opposed to Trump's policies. But actually, uh, in many ways, there are remarkable echoes of Trump's policies in the Fine Gael government's uh, policies, particularly on climate change, where, yeah, they have, uh, you know, pleaded with the European Union to essentially let them off on their targets for dealing with climate change. They failed dramatically in that regard. And even as we speak, they're trying to sabotage the People Before Profit Bill, which was passed by the Dáil to keep fossil fuels in the ground, to stop further extraction of fossil fuels. And they're now trying to sabotage that bill using parliamentary trickery. And in fact, there's a big protest Mm. outside the Dáil next Tuesday evening because of that. uh, They're saying it requires a money bill, isn't it? Saying it requires a money message, which uh, when the bill was passed, uh, normally when the bill passes second stage, that's when you're told whether or not it needs a money message. And we were told it didn't need a money message. But at the last minute, a year and a half later, because the, the Fine Gael government is afraid the bill will pass and because of intensive lobbying by the fossil fuel industry to try and stop the bill, they, they pull out of their back pocket this uh, requirement for a money message. But it's just a ruse to try and sabotage a bill they oppose. But it does highlight the fact that, like Trump, uh, the Irish government are, are hostages to the interests of the fossil fuel industry and have no real intent uh, to tackle it uh, when it comes to climate change. OK, we've been talking about the president. Before we finish up, let's talk about the president, the Irish president, Michael D. Higgins, and uh, the comments he, he made in advance of uh, the Trump presidential visit. Uh, did he do us proud? Yeah, I, and to be honest, I, I think fair play to Michael D. Uh, he said more to politically challenge Trump than the Irish government did. Uh, and he pushed the envelope, I suppose, of the presidential office. And, you know, I say fair play to him uh, for doing that. Um, but, you know, I mean, really, the issue is what our government does. And uh, I think the government have let us down, frankly, in the way they've dealt with Trump. Um, and we've got to challenge them on a whole range of issues uh, because they are subservient to uh Trump's political agenda, and it's a dangerous agenda. And I suppose, particularly when you think this is mm. an anniversary of D-Day and what happened in mm. the 1930s and 40s, you know, one of the most uh, dangerous elements of uh, Trump's agenda is that it has stirred up the fascist far right all across Europe who want, who are nostalgic to drag us back to the dark uh, and calamitous days of the 1930s and 40s with, the, you know, the, the horrors that visited mm. on the world. Um, and I think that's a very serious threat all across Europe that has to be that has to be resisted. Would you would you give some credit to Leo Radker though for meeting Trump in Shannon and refusing to go to Dunbeg because that is something that was reported uh, in America as well, and uh, the reporting was uh, that he didn't succumb to the president's wishes. I mean, uh, look, okay, yeah, it would have been absolutely terrible if he had met in Doombeg, that would have been really pathetic if he had done that. But, you know, meeting in Shannon, there's a a pretty terrible symbolism to that as well, in that Shannon is the place where millions of US troops 
have travelled from the United States en route to places like Iraq, Afghanistan and elsewhere to kill people and cause carnage. Uh, and that is a shameful betrayal of Irish neutrality and that betrayal continues with the current uh, Fine Gael government's policy. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. People Before Profit TD for Dunleary, Richard Boyd Barrett. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, it's been a relatively quiet week in Leinster House with uh, the doll not resuming business until Tuesday of next week. Uh, but uh, the Oireachtas Committee on uh, Climate Change and Communications did meet this week and met with members of Comreg and KPMG to discuss the National Broadband Plan. Timmy Dooley is Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on communications and a member of uh, that committee and he joins us now. And a very good morning to you and uh, thanks uh, for taking the time to be with us uh, this morning. Uh, you discovered from the Department of Communications that it was known back in 2017 that the plan was a billion euro over budget. Yeah, good morning, Michael. Uh, yeah, I mean, it became clear in our questioning uh, of KPMG that uh, the department had uh, an idea uh, of what they thought it would cost. Uh, and when information became available from uh, the bidders that it was uh, at least a billion in advance of uh, or over what the department's original estimate was. Now the department's original estimate uh, wasn't the back of a, an envelope calculation. KPMG had fed into that, um, and I suppose from our point of view, we were at a loss to understand how a company of the size and scale and reputation of KPMG, with all its experience in other markets, could get that so wrong. Mm. Uh, they did indicate that they based their analysis on guidance of other companies who, who, who we will have a chance to, um, you know, talk with uh, and and inquire into uh, as, the, as the hearings go on. But it seems to me, uh, looking at the evidence that has been given to us today, that the entire tendering process was not fit for purpose um, because what the original objectives were at the outset um, effectively weren't fulfilled as the as the tender process continued. Well, there's only one bidder left, Granahan McCourt, but take us back to 2017 when the department knew that it was going to be a billion more expensive than had been previously thought. How many bidders were there then? Well, there were three substantial bidders, AIR, which was the old Aircom, um, and Cyro, which was a, a consortium made up of the ESB and Vodafone. And the government had indicated, or the, the department had indicated, that there was about a half a billion available by way of a subsidy to assist with rolling out high-speed broadband to the 542,000 homes around the country. And now and that's three billion. Now that has gone to three billion. But the, 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 so, so that the entire tendering process that brought these people together and effectively frightened them away. When you when you get behind the scenes with the with the ESB and Vodafone and Air it's very clear that they felt they couldn't come forward with a credible business proposition that would roll out the broadband to 542,000 homes with just a half a billion of state investment. And for that reason, they seemed to withdraw from the race. Um, So does that mean, just to spell this out, does that mean that they thought that there was half a billion available from the state in funding for this project and didn't know that there would end up being an additional two and a half billion, making up the three billion available. And that that is that that is, that, is, that is the case. That and on that basis, they decided to pull out. Principally, yes. I mean, in a nutshell, that's that's where this thing fell down. Now, 
so 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 the the process was so poorly constructed at the outset um and set these kind of early targets or intervention targets mm. that, that 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 frightened away the main bidders and and Granahan McCourt who really are a company without the experience or the standing of ESB and, and Vodafone and Air just took a punt and remained in the race and 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 as a result mm. There was no competition at the end. There was no competitive tension there, right at the final uh, at the final hurdle. And, and explain to us what what happened to the best of your understanding, uh, because uh, I'm sure you sat for several hours uh, and had many questions and heard many responses uh, from uh, the people in front of you. But from what I understand from the scant newspaper reports that I have in relation to this, you were told by KPMG that the difference between the half a billion and the three billion that ended up being available was down to technical issues. Well, I don't accept that. Um, I don't accept that it's a technical issue. I, I think. But it, what do they mean? Well, they weren't clear on that, right, okay. other than that, that it, wasn't, it wasn't obvious at the outset what the technical solutions would be, and that if you wanted to cover 100% uh, of the 542,000 premises with fibre to the home, Right, right, direct to the premises that that in- increased the cost, and I and I accept that that is a is, is a significant cost. But the reality is, they should have known that at the outset. They should have been closer to the mark, and had they had they done their work better or closer to what it, what, what the ultimate cost was, I think the ESB and 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 Vodafone and Air would have remained in the race if there was a more credible dialogue coming from the department's side, uh, and then we may have seen better value for money, we may have seen the capacity of one or other of the companies to roll the broadband out to these locations much more quickly than is now envisaged under the latest offering. And that's really where I mean, the two, the two principal pieces for all of us, I think, is how do we get broadband rolled out more quickly than between 7 and 10 years, as is envisaged by the government? And, and the other question then, can it be done less expensive? Um, and those are really the two Mm. Uh, the argument uh, against what you're saying about competition is uh, that uh, there had been competition right up to the end of uh, the process uh, and uh, it was after the submissions uh, were made that uh, it became clear to uh, KPMG uh, and the department that it was a a billion over. Yeah, I don't accept that. I, I think there were indicative prices submitted in the early stages. There wasn't a final competitive bidding process. There was just, when the final tender went in, there was just one bidder. And at that stage, that bidder knew that they were the only show in town. So therefore, I'm sure that the, 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 the best value was not, was not achieved. And certainly in terms of rollout times, they were allowed to drift. Because at a stage, the government were projecting that 100% of these homes would be covered within three years. They're now saying it'll be between seven and ten. So there's been a very considerable slip uh, in, in commitments there, uh, and the price has skyrocketed. And it's very clear that, that whilst this is a big project, it wasn't well handled either by the advisors to the government uh, or, 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 or the department uh, in the first instance. Okay, no doubt uh, the controversy will continue and uh, the debate and discussion over broadband, uh, despite uh, the intention to deliver it to every premises in the country, no matter how far away it is. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, they say it's a a long, long way from Clare to here. You were here as such for the Oireachtas Committee hearing. Uh, Did you get back to Clare before the Trumps uh, 
uh, left town. Uh, they're due to leave uh, this afternoon. I'm not sure if that uh, game of golf is underway or about to get underway at this stage. Yeah, I got, I got back to Clare on uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, remained here since, uh, but uh, I wasn't on the uh, I wasn't on the Trump shortlist for the game of golf or for his dinner. So yeah, you you weren't down the pub with Eric and Don June, you know. No, no. Does if if I had if I had time to do that, there's there's a lot of other mates of mine that I'd pick first to go for a pint with. But mm. anyway, <laughs> okay. Why is that? Well, look at I mean, I I, I I don't subscribe to the politics um, of of Trump uh, or, or 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 his presidency. Um, I do welcome the business investment that Trump International has made in mm. in Clare. It's very significant investment. It. They employ a lot of people. They do so, by the way, on the basis that they'll make a good return on their investment. But it is welcome, um, and it's 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 beneficial to that region. There are other local people who invest in hotels too, um, and they must be recognised for the, for their courage in that regard. But I, I don't subscribe at all to do you, the politics do, of, of, of of President Trump. Do, do you think we've belittled ourselves in any way as a nation, or that the people of Dunbeg have belittled themselves, uh, welcoming somebody with open arms, uh, somebody who has blood on those hands, uh, whilst uh, they're saying it's worth it uh, because there's 360 jobs at stake? No, I don't think so. I, I think the local people um, get it. They know the difference between the Trump International Investment Vehicle and, and the President. Um, I think any of them that you talk to say, look, we're, we're, we're not in a position to, to challenge him politically. That's your job, it's Dijk's job. Um, we're here to welcome the, the Trump investment and, and what it means to life here. Like, it's, not, it's not just the blood on the hands of, of Donald Trump. Actually, every US president that, that I can recall um, has been involved in military activity overseas and, and technically could be mm. um, termed to have blood on their hands if that's the case. Uh, I think the difference with Donald Trump, for me anyway, I generally don't comment on his politics within his own jurisdiction. That's a matter for the American people who, who elected him. Where I have the big uh, issue uh, with him is his support for Nigel Farage, his support for Brexit, which has the potential to be very, very damaging uh, to the island of Ireland, to County Clare and to Dunbeg. Uh, and, and I was hopeful that the Taoiseach would use the opportunity to impress upon him the really negative impact that any Brexit would have, uh, let alone a hard Brexit with a, with, a, with a border or a wall, as he'd like to see, uh, along the, uh, along the, the, the line with the six counties. So mm. there's, there's issues there that he needs to be challenged on that are... Uh, more local and domestic to to an, to an Irish perspective. Do you think he has any interest, any real interest? Well, he didn't certainly demonstrate a great understanding uh, of Brexit or mm. the implications for Ireland. Um, he seems to think or operate at, a, at an exceptionally high level, uh, a little bit like you know pawns on a on a on a chessboard, where mm. if the UK was uh, out of the um, European Union relationship that it might be easier for the United States to do mm. a trade deal with the UK and that that may be of benefit uh, to the United States. Kind of following on that very um, nationalistic protectionist approach that he's taking in, in, in world affairs. I mean, on a broader level, America has been very open with its trade policies and with its relationships with other geopolitical blocks mm. for, for, for many years now, believing that if you can have growing economies in other parts of the world 
um, that it stabilises those regions, reduces the chance of friction and war, and therefore benefits the wider world. And because America is, America is a big player in the world, America benefits. Donald Trump has taken a much more protectionist approach, um, literally putting up the barriers of the walls uh, and beginning trade battles. Mm. And when, you, you start, when you start with trade and you start unwinding those relationships that have been put in place over over many generations, mm. you do start to break down um, economies, you do start to break down societies. In, and, and it's what you do rather than what you say. Do you think what he, he said was intentionally insulting Irish intelligence? Because when you talk about trade, uh, he is uh, adamant that he, he's going to clamp down on low-tax uh, facilitators such as Ireland and bring those companies back to America. He was here and he was saying, you're doing a good job. Uh, when it comes to Brexit, he's over in the UK saying, uh, you should leave uh, and, uh, you know, I've got a better deal and forget about the Europeans and so on. Then he comes over here and says, it'll all be okay. I think what he has demonstrated, if you kind of follow President Trump over the last number of years, he's demonstrated a very considerable lack of joined up thinking and joined up understanding of the fragile relationships that exist between and within countries right around the world. Uh, as I said, he, he just comes to the table rather bullishly at times with just a, with just one idea. Um, and, and, and often ideas on their own uh, are good in isolation mm. when, you, when they're required to be in, in, intermingled with, 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 with so many other issues around the world. Uh, on, on their own, on a standalone basis, they're not the best, and I think that's where. Do you, do you not think he was dismissive, though, telling us black was white because uh, he wasn't really interested in talking to us? I don't know if it was being dismissive. I, 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 I prefer to, to assume that it was that he uh, demonstrates his lack of understanding of the issue because um, it can be complex, and I suppose any of us, if we were landed in, uh, uh, you know, one of the states in 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 in, in the US and expected to, at a at a short at short notice, understand all the. All the complexity. Oh, I think you're being very kind now. <laughs> I think you're being exceptionally kind. I don't, want to, I don't kind. want to ascribe to him mm. a, a, a deep knowledge that he clearly doesn't. So, we, okay. we, we, on this occasion, we'll go for the fool's pardon. <laughs> right. On that fool's pardon, we leave it. And thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, Finnefall TD, Timmy Dooley, is his party's spokesperson on communications. Michael Reed on LMFM. It's one of uh, those weeks uh, that we'll be reflecting on by looking at uh, the television in years to come. Programs like Reeling in the Years and God knows, uh, but it certainly has been a busy week and one that's captured the imagination of all of us. Uh, the visit of uh, the President of uh, the United States of America to a small village in West Clare called Dune Beg. What have uh, people been saying to you since the last time you were in with us, Marie? Jim was in touch and he felt it was a bit cringy the two uh, sons going to the pubs in Dunbeg once again it suggests that this is all we do in Ireland is drink says Jim I can understand the people of the village welcoming them because they provide jobs locally but you do have to ask why he was there why is he here? I suppose that is a, a very interesting question. And when I, I think of us speaking this morning on LMFM and all of uh, the thousands of people who are listening to us, and don't get me wrong, uh, there are thousands of people listening to us, thank God. But I, I also think, look at me, I'm a speck of sand because we really are in a, a, a small radio station in a small part of the world. And you think of all of the people in the world and uh, one of the biggest radio stations in the world is called NPR. It's National 
public radio in America. It covers all 52 states. And it has been asking exactly that question. Why is Donald Trump in Ireland? We listen to a little bit of their coverage now. Tonight, President Trump is spending a second night in Ireland. It's more than 700 miles from those Normandy beaches, almost 600 miles from London, but he owns a golf course there. And NPR's Peter Overby reports that golf course has been losing money in the five years since Trump bought it and perhaps could use a bit of promotion. The Trump International Golf Links and Hotel Dunebag sit above Atlantic Ocean beaches on Ireland's west coast. A promo video conjures up Downton Abbey-style elegance. Fine food, plush beds, massages, horseback riding. And there's golf, too. When Trump first flew in from London yesterday, Ireland's Prime Minister, Leo Varadkar, met him at Shannon Airport. Trump told reporters why he was there. I'd love to come to Ireland and stay at Dunbeg. One reporter asked, is this just about promoting your golf club? No, this trip is really about uh, great relationships that we have with the U.K., And uh, I really wanted to do this stop in Ireland. It was very important to me because of the relationship I have with the people and with your prime minister. The airport conference was a compromise. Trump had wanted to meet at his resort, the way he's hosted Japanese Prime Minister Abe and other foreign leaders at Mar-a-Lago. Noah Bookbinder is director of the watchdog group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. He said this back and forth may be a first for Trump. I don't recall an instance of his desire to meet at one of his properties being an issue between him and a foreign leader. There's another more common problem, too. Trump lobbied to kill a wind farm that was proposed near the club. He called Varadkar, who was then minister of tourism, not prime minister, in a speech last year, Varadkar said he placed a single call and... The wind farm was never built, thus the landscape being preserved. And the president has very kindly given me credit for that. Although I do think it would, probably would have been refused anyway. Now there's another issue. Trump wants to build a seawall to protect the shoreline next to the golf course. It's a climate change issue, according to his lawyers. He got approval, but local opponents appealed it. Resolution seems a long way off. Bookbinder points out this is just another take on the question of foreign emoluments. We don't want a situation where the president in his relations with Ireland is concerned about what the government is going to do with his resort, as opposed to thinking about the interests of the United States. The Constitution bars the president from accepting gifts, payments or benefits, emoluments, from a foreign government unless Congress consents. Meanwhile, taxpayers are paying for Trump's side trips to Ireland, extra travel, and all the security needed to protect the resort. Irish newspapers report that Friday night bingo is cancelled at the community centre near Dunebeg. It's due to the security restrictions from the president's visit. Peter Overby, NPR News, Washington. Well, as you hear, that's uh, the report on National Public Radio in uh, America from Peter Overby. I'm not sure if uh, that's good publicity or bad publicity. What did you make of that, Marie? Oh, it's hard to know, Michael, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> I'm sitting this one mm. out. <laughs> that's what they're saying about us in the United States. Martin had, mm. uh, I, I thought it was an interesting point. And the point he's making is that it's important to show courtesy to the office of the President of the United States for all of our illegal Irish in America. He says he lived in America for 20 years and the first three years he was an illegal and he says illegals, Irish illegals in America have a good time of it. They don't suffer mm. the same way that other nationalities do. And he says despite fears at the start of his 
you know, when he became president, mm. that Donald Trump has really turned a blind eye to the Irish and they haven't been getting much hassle, he says. And that the politicians who are against him should ask themselves how many of those they represent have illegal relatives in the states and should bear that in mind. All right. Well, we'll uh, give the final word on Donald Trump uh, to uh, the residents in Doombeg. Even in one of his tweeters that he did have great, great support and great respect from Doombeg, it would just even put more emphasis on the village itself. But as for the outcome of the meeting between himself and Leo, it's just an informal chat. Because you can't there's no, there's no contracts going to be signed. There's no deals going to be done. It's just Leo saying, "I don't think you should do. We should do this and that and other." And Donald Trump will just probably say the same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's okay. all it'll be. It's just there. You go. That's uh, John Flanagan, who's the chairman of uh, the Development Association in Doonbeg, uh, telling uh, listeners to Claire FM about uh, Donald Trump's about Doonbeg. Interesting stuff. I say they'd be happy when it's all over today, Michael. I say so. <laughs> all right. Thanks uh, for that, Marie, and uh, everybody who's been in touch with us today and indeed this week. Uh, this week, I hope you've a lovely weekend. God willing, we'll see you for our next program on Monday morning at nine a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>